caught between a rock and a hard place. It strikes me that Jesus was experiencing what we often refer to as being caught between a rock and a hard place. The people were saying he has gone out of his mind. The scribes were saying he has Beelzebub. And by the ruler of the demons, he cast out demons. Believing what they had heard, his family went out to restrain him. In the minds of those around him, Jesus was crazy, full of the devil, and needed an intervention. It strikes me also that once again we see Jesus demonstrating what it looks like to live a life of purpose. Not shaken by his family who thought he was deluded or his political opponents who thought he was demonic, he chose not to focus on his accusers, rather he chose to focus on the creative work of God in humanity. In the face of his attackers, Jesus offers a counterattack which consists of three defensive moves, all of which rely on God's creative work in humanity. First, Jesus relies on God's creative work and the human ability to think for oneself. And this is the kind of thinking we tend to associate with discernment. It's not a fragile or subjective sense of God's will. Rather, it's about a process of sorting truth from error, right from wrong. It's about the practice of testing everything and holding fast to what is good and abstaining from evil. Relying on humanity's God given ability to discern, to separate truth from error, Jesus responds with a rhetorical question and a few parenthetical assertions. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and, and is divided, he cannot stand, but his end has come. In other words, discern what is the truth. Read between the lines, y'all. Not only are Jesus' accusers acknowledging that Jesus has the power to cast out demons, they are also acknowledging that Satan's kingdom is being destroyed. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man. Then indeed the house can be plundered. Yes, somebody's kingdom is being destroyed, and we know it is not the kingdom of God. In other words, one greater than Satan is at work. It is God who works through Christ Jesus and by God's Holy Spirit to destroy the kingdom of Satan. I contend here that even though Jesus lived a purposeful life, his own humanity did not allow him to escape the feelings of being caught between a rock and a hard place. It's hard not to feel the sting of family who can't understand why you do the things you do. It's hard to be accused of doing wrong when you know you're always seeking to do the will of God. 
But with Jesus' own example, we see that we can't fall prey to the voices of condemnation and accusation about us. In our own defense, we must turn to the voice of truth and righteousness, ever mindful to trust in the Lord with all our hearts. Lean not to our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge God and know that God will direct our paths. Using our God-given ability to discern right from wrong, we hold fast to the voice of God, which is a voice of peace, a voice of healing, a voice of strength and courage, and surely a voice of guidance. Jesus seems also to rely on humanity's God-given ability to recall. With that rhetorical question and parathetical statements, we hear Jesus saying, regardless of how you feel, it is important to rely on God's faithfulness. Count on what you know about God. And one of the things we know we can count on about God is that God is known to show up in strange, unprecedented, and unexpected ways. So why not expect God to show up when you're feeling that you're caught between a rock and a hard place? One biblical example that I recall as I looked at this text is the story of Jacob at Bethel. We find the story in the 28th chapter of Genesis. Jacob, who had stolen his brother's birthright, had escaped to the land of his uncle Laban. After some years of residing there, he decided it was time to go home and face a brother whom he believed wanted to kill him. And on his way home, he came to a certain place and camped for the night. And with no soft pillow to lay his head on, Jacob propped his head upon a rock and laid down to sleep. And during the course of his sleeping, Jacob dreamed of a ladder that was set on the ground and reached all the way to the sky. Jacob saw angels of God going up and down, up and down that ladder. Though caught between a rock and a hard place, caught between a scheming uncle and an angry brother, Jacob saw angels ascending and descending that ladder. Jacob saw God before his face saying to him, I am God, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. I'm giving the ground on which you are sleeping to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as the dust of the earth. They are stretched from west to east and from north to south. All the families of the earth will be blessed because of you and your descendants. I'll stay with you. I'll protect you wherever you go. I'll bring you back to this land, this very ground. I'll stick with you until I've done everything that I have promised you. Jacob woke up. And in the strength of a confidence that comes only from God, he declared, God is truly in this place, and I didn't even know it. In the midst of Jacob's terror, and in a strange place, 
God revealed God's self to Jacob, and Jacob was able to declare how incredible, how wonderful, how holy is our God. This is Bethel, God's house. This is the gate of heaven. And to further put humanity's ability to recall in the context of what God is speaking to us today, we have but to recall God's word to the people of Israel after a 40-year trek through the wilderness. God says to Israel through Moses, you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years. Your clothing did not wear out, and your feet did not swell. Now whether the times of hardships are transformative or punitive, God remains gracious through them all. Sometimes we have to look hard to see God's grace in our hardships, but the grace is always there. God is always more gracious to us than it seems. We also see in this text that Jesus relied on the human ability to reverence the nature of God. Moving forth in his own usual manner of operation, Jesus tells a parable. People will be forgiven for their sins and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness, but is guilty of, guilty of an eternal sin. Conversely, a parable demands that we attend to it with ears to hear. This parable is not saying that God stops offering forgiveness. Rather, it is saying that we can fail to be in a position to receive the forgiveness that is offered. The real sin against the Holy Spirit is to refuse to reverence, to acknowledge with joy the concrete work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, particularly that which we see before our very eyes and to declare that people were being healed, delivered, and set free by an unclean spirit is to deny the work of the Holy Spirit among us. Jesus is saying to those who are among him to say, to give Satan credit for what God is doing is to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. This idea of blaspheming the Holy Spirit brought to mind a football play that gained fame back in the 60s. The player had run 66 yards in the wrong direction. Now, not being such a big football fan myself, I had to go to the internet to look up all I could remember that it happened. But it was Jim Marshall, the former Minnesota Vikings defensive end who ran that play the end zone that would have given him fame for the 66 yards that he ran never moved. It was always there in the same place. But Marshall didn't reach the winning goalpost because he ran in the wrong direction. And of course, for many football fans, Marshall committed the ultimate unforgivable sin. Instead of gaining fame for a 66-yard touchdown, Marshall gained the nickname Wrong Way Marshall. 
Jesus is saying to us that it is God's nature to forgive. God is always there to bless us, to forgive us, and to guide us. But to choose to disregard the one whose eye is ever upon us and whose hand is ever outstretched towards us is to choose to run in the wrong direction. It is incumbent upon us to choose to reverence the nature of God. And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Now Jesus was probably approached by his family members because they were concerned that he had come up against the highest authorities in the land. If so, they would have known that he was courting disaster. They probably just wanted to protect him or at least protect their family name. Regardless of their reason, we see Jesus demonstrating here that even when caught between a rock and a hard place, being able to stand for what is right and godly is to do the will of God. The new kinship model to which Jesus spoke was based not on relationship by blood or clan, but relationship with God and with God alone. Jesus demonstrates also that when we find ourselves in such difficult places, especially in this time, this age ripened with idolatry and compulsive need to please people and things, instead of looking to the sources that have hemmed us in, we ought to look to the source of our strength and our salvation. We ought to look to a rock of a different kind. For us, this rock is Jesus. Yes, this rock is Jesus. He is the one. This rock is Jesus, the only one. This is surely the rock to which Ruth K. Jones turned when the perils of World War II became more than she could handle. Taking a notepad from her apron pocket, recalling those words of 2 Timothy 3.1, that in the last days perilous times will come, she jotted down the words to the hymn, in times like these. In times like these, you need a savior. In times like these, you need an anchor. Be sure, be very sure, your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. And we still live in perilous, perilous times. Now, we don't see 400,000 soldiers falling at our side, but every day almost we hear of children dying, falling at our sides day in and day out due to weapons and violence in our land. And not unlike the 40s, we as a society still make the choice all too often and despite how God has revealed God's self to us to throw our anchor into to sinking sand and God is saying to us I'm here I've always been here and I always will be here for you so turn into the God of our salvation and reverencing God daily and in every situation must be a part of our lives 
even when we feel we are caught between a rock and a hard place. Amen.